Thank you so much, Liz, for that stirring presentation. Um, I really wanted to encourage students, if you haven't read the book, please do so, especially those of you who are interested in law school. Um, the way that the Bush administration's legal team was able to engage in very creative legal interpretations is incredibly well documented. I think that you'll learn a lot about federal laws when it comes to accountability um, and the way that international laws have been translated into domestic laws from this book. So I think it'll be really good preparation to learn a lot of things um, for law school. Um, okay, uh, so I guess I only have a couple of questions I really want to ask because we're running out of time and I think that the questions from the students are probably going to be um, more interesting um, than any questions I might have. I think you've done a great job uh, documenting how important it will be to hold the Bush administration responsible for uh, the many cr criminal activities that they've engaged in. Um, and I think that it's your political argument about how important it is to maintain accountability in American democracy is very well taken. Um, but one of the questions that um, I had listening to your, you speak as well as reading the book um, is this contrast between the reaction of the American people when it came to Watergate versus um, the George W. Bush administration. Um, so why do you suppose that there is such a marked difference in the demand for accountability? Is it because when it came to Bush administration there were issues of national security at play? Was it possibly because um, the, I guess, the theatrics of the Clinton administration's uh, I guess the attempts of accountability by the Republicans um, in the 1990s put a sour taste in people's mouths. I was wondering if you had any thoughts about this distinction. Well, I think that's a really important question about why the difference. Um, I think I think fear and national security issues. Can you hear? He's working. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. I think fear and national security were important factors. We knew in Watergate, for example, President Nixon used national security dozens of times to try to justify uh, what was happening. The break-in was national security, told the CIA stay away, I mean the FBI stay away. He didn't personally tell them, but he told the CIA to tell the FBI stay away from the Watergate burglary, don't investigate it because it involves national security. He claimed national security, but this is an ordinary break-in, and in the end, the, um, the process went forward. The big difference in Watergate was that there was a special prosecutor, and we have no special prosecutor here. Archibald Cox was appointed special prosecutor, named special prosecutor by Elliot Richardson, and it was total happenstance. And once you had a prosecutor there, like Patrick Fitzgerald, he had a, a mandate, he had independence, and he was told to uncover the truth and uncover the evidence without fear or favor, and he did. He was ultimately obstructed in his efforts to get at the truth, but I think most Americans think he did a very professional job. We had no special prosecutor. As a result of Watergate, and I call for it in my book in terms of what we can do, we created in Congress a statute for a special prosecutor. That statute, unfortunately, was so abused by Kenneth Starr that Congress said, let's get rid of it, let's let it expire, and as a result, we have no mechanism to create 
a special prosecutor, which means that there is no hope of accountability uh, unless a president says affirmatively, this has to be investigated and I'm going to have a special prosecutor appointed, or an attorney general says that. So I think that's one difference. I think also that Bush did an extraordinary job of scaring the American people. They were scared by the constant emphasis on the mushroom cloud. Most Americans thought they were in imminent danger from Saddam Hussein, that we were going to have a nuclear weapon go off here, that he was going to give, if he himself wasn't going to hand off, uh, wasn't going to use nuclear weapons, then he was going to hand it off to some terrorist group. I mean, even the CIA said this was a very unlikely scenario, but the American people believed it, and they were scared. If you go through the, all the documentation, we have some of it in our book, uh, you'll see that there was harping and harping and harping, not only by the president, but by Condoleezza Rice and by others in the administration about the mushroom cloud. So people were scared. Wiretapping is a very abstract point. How do you feel it? How, how is your liberty affected? Most people don't know. So they say, well, First of all, they're never going to wiretap me. I'm a law-abiding citizen, so what do I have to worry about? It's them, some group of would-be terrorists, not me. And so nobody really stops to think about how um, illegal wiretapping can chill our liberties. The framers of the Constitution understood it. They understood. That's why there's a in the Bill of Rights, it says people shall be free from unreasonable searches and seizures and no warrant shall issue except on probable cause. Now, why did they say that? Because they had experienced the framers with the British monarch who went and bombed, you know, banged down doors and went into people's homes and, and arrested them based on all kinds of ridiculous evidence. They understood the danger and we should really understand the danger of what happens when people think they're being wiretapped. So, but it's too abstract for many people. And the torture was re repellent to many Americans, but it wasn't our own people who were being tortured. It was the them, the other. You can dehumanize the other. It's not the first time in history that's happened. It's not the first time in the United States that we've dehumanized um, the other. Uh, so I think those are some factors, but it will, but those factors, I believe, can be overcome. I hope they can be overcome because it's, it's a terrible thing to think that we ourselves can't hold our own administration, our own highest level people accountable. Well, let's put it this way. If you don't think they should be prosecuted for a crime, let's change the law and say when a president violates the law, he or she can do it without being prosecuted. Okay, but we don't have that, and most Americans wouldn't agree to that. So I, I, I think it's a very tough, I think, tough time, um, the post 9-11 era, when President Bush took advantage of the fears of the American people, and Americans trusted him. They trusted their president. See, they hadn't remembered Watergate. They hadn't remembered the Vietnam War where presidents lied to the American people, so they said, our president's gonna tell the truth. And they were wrong. 
I guess I have, um, we only have a little bit of time left, so I have one short question and then I'd like to open it up to the floor. Um, so your book ends with a very passionate call to action. Um, you've also urged the students here to remain hopeful for accountability. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe give some concrete suggestions about actions for some of the students here that might want to pursue this a little bit further. Well, I'm going to say first read the book so you can be armed with the facts. Uh, secondly, I would go and see your representatives in Congress and say why aren't things happening? Why can't we have accountability? I would join together with other groups. I would try to keep myself informed. There's some groups that are doing a lot of work on not necessarily governmental accountability, but on trying to deal with issues of uh, torture or mistreatment of detainees and so forth. Um, I think there are, we talk about changing some of the laws. For example, enacting a, a special prosecutor law that would make it possible for a special prosecutor to commence investigations. You know, one of the things I didn't really mention was that statute of limitations is running out on some of these crimes, particularly the crimes of related to defrauding the Congress about the war, uh, the crime of uh, illegal wiretapping. These are crimes that the statute of limitations will run out on. And in fact, some of the torture um, crimes will become subject to a statute of limitations in the not too distant future. Luckily, under the Patriot Act, the one good thing it did was to create, uh, to abolish the statute of limitations for certain kinds of torture um, that create a risk of serious um, bodily injury or death. And since waterboarding, according to the CIA itself, not Liz Holzman, but the CIA, creates a risk of drowning, I, I do believe that there is no statute of limitations with respect to waterboarding. But other kinds of enhanced interrogation may be subject to a statute of limitations. So we have to be um, alert. And I think to call on the president, write to the president, write to the attorney general, and call on your representatives and your senators to act. What are they doing about getting accountability, and why not? So those are things I would definitely urge that you do. Thank you very much. Um, if you could please come up to the microphone and ask your questions so that everyone can hear it. Uh, are we still torturing, torturing this administration? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I don't know the answer to that. Please come up to the microphone. I mean, there. Are, I think the president has said that there is to be no torture, but I don't know that we know everything that's going on in various secret prisons around the world that we still have. Um, my question draws on someone on his question, but I know other people were aware of the enhanced interrogations that were occurring. Um, I think House Speaker, former Speaker Pelosi, uh, what would be your litmus test for a criminal investigation for, for somebody who knew or participated in it? What would be your limit test for a well, investigation? Well, you'd, you'd have to ask uh, what the statute required in terms of did they authorize, could they have stopped, were they conspiring, for example. Those are, those are kind of defined standards under the criminal law, probably being in a situation where you could not have stopped it, uh, you didn't authorize it, uh, I don't know that there would be criminal liability. I'm talking, we didn't, ex we didn't look at anybody 
other than the president and the vice president and the people closest to them. We were not trying to base liability on, um, we just focused on them. We didn't expand the penumbra. I mean, I'm sure there could be a variety of people who could be included, but we really focused on the main people who admitted that they authorized. I mean, I don't want to get into a situation where what are the disputes about facts. Nancy Pelosi said she did X, other people said she did Y. That's a factual dispute. We wanted to focus on a situation where there was no factual dispute. And there is no factual dispute. President Bush himself said, I said, damn right, when they asked me if I was going to authorize waterboarding of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. There's no question about that. So now the question is, since he's admitted it, what do we do about it? That's, so I think your, your point is interesting, but we didn't focus on that in the book. I really want to thank you so much for this book and for these provocative words. Um, the Center for Constitutional Rights has many of the Guantanamo cases, and today they had a, a big session on what is going on and the kind of failure to not only failure to close Guantanamo, but failure to release 89 of the folks in Guantanamo who everybody agrees should be released where they're a place to go. That, so what's torture? I mean, is it still going on? Well, of course it is. Um, and then there are these supermax prisons where folks are in isolation. Um, and for me, things are happening so quickly. The, the passage and signing of the National Defense Authorization Act. What does that do? And, and given who voted for it, that our own senators, our own liberal, good New York senators voted for it. Barbara Mikulski voted for it. What does that do to who should be indicted? And what does that, this new law, do to, your, to the structure? Well, those are very important questions. I'm not talking about whether people should pass law, shouldn't pass law. I'm talking about the laws that are already on the books. And these laws have been on the books. The Anti-Torture Act, the wiretapping law, the defrauding Congress. By the way, defrauding Congress is used in the prosecution of people in Watergate, the top aides to Nixon. And it was used in connection with the Iran-Contra prosecutions. So that's a statute that's well established. I'm not talking about should they have passed this act? Should they have not passed this act? We don't even have to go there. I'm just talking about the laws that are on the books right now. And why aren't they being enforced when it comes to a president of the United States? Would we, I mean, there are books, there are laws on the books right now about bank fraud. And they weren't being enforced. And American people were very upset about that. We're not talking about any new laws. We don't have to go there. I'm not saying we shouldn't go there. I'm just talking about what message is sent in the future if the laws we have that prohibit torture, that prohibit illegal wiretapping, that prohibit a president from defrauding the Congress into going into war are not enforced. Well, what does it say to another president? What's the next war we're going to go into on a basis of fraud? Or the next massive wiretapping, or the next torture. And maybe the torture won't be of them. Maybe it'll be of us the next time. You know, they said that. It's a very famous uh, statement about 
how, um, you know, in Germany, some pastor said, well, you know, first they came for the labor union, talking about the Nazis. First they came for the labor union leaders, and nobody said anything. I didn't say anything. And then they came for the religious uh, people and the religious the ministers, and nobody said anything. And then they came for the Catholics, and nobody said anything. You know, and they came for the Jews, and nobody said anything. And then they came for me. So are we all going to be the me's? of the next president or the president down the road? That's really what's at stake here. And so those are very important questions that you ask, Professor, but they really are on a different point, which is we have laws on the books right now that are not being enforced because we're talking about enforcing them against a president of the United States. And if we want to create exemptions for presidents from our law, are we going down the road to tyranny and dictatorship how can we preserve ourselves as a democracy if a president can say, I don't have to obey the law, I'm president, the Nixon doctrine. Where does that line end? Where do you draw that line? And so that's the great, great, great danger. And also I think that the failure to look at this and to prosecute torture is also a way of condoning it in the future. People don't really understand. You, you talked about the, uh, uh, you know, we're not, what is the torture? People don't really understand what happened to these, to the people who were given enhanced interrogation. If you read the CIA's manual about this, they took somebody, this is, I mean, they did it repeatedly. They took somebody, they smashed him into the wall, they took his clothes off, they um, hosed him with water. They kept him in freezing temperature. They didn't feed him. They kept him in stress positions. He was in a diaper. They'd stop that after about a half hour or 40 minutes. Then they'd do it all over again. Smash him into the wall, douse him with cold water. I mean, this, was, this is no joke, what happened. And it's pretty horrific. And some of these people are no longer the same as a result. There's long-term mental damage as a result of the waterboarding. One of the people, his lawyer said he had 200 seizures. I don't know. So it's really, I, I think the American people have to be educated. And that's one of the important things that happened. I think this is a good answer also to how we can change the minds or the understanding of the American people. Watergate was a critical learning experience for the American people. It was a way of getting back in touch with what the Constitution said and about single standard of law and about holding presidents accountable and about abuse of power and how we can correct it. It was, as everybody calls, says, a teachable moment. But there has been no teachable moment about the eight years of the Bush abuses. And an effort, whether it's prosecution or even a truth commission, would bring out to the American people and would educate them about the dangers of this. I mean, the amazing thing is, just with respect to a truth commission, that's another alternative way of accountability. It's not as satisfactory, as, in my view, as having someone look to determine whether crimes were committed. But in England, they have a commission that's sitting right now on determining 
what happened in terms of going to, into the Iraq war. They called Tony Blair to testify. They called all the top figures to testify. They had public hearings. And they're going to issue a report. In Holland, they appointed a, a, a former Supreme Court justice who issued a report, by the way, part of it is in English and you can access it on, online. And he found that the war was illegal under international law. And he also found, by the way, that the Dutch par prime minister deceived the Dutch parliament. Hello, <laughs> we've seen the same thing here. So it's very, these are things that we have failed to do, that other countries have done, and it's just inexcusable. We have done this in our own past. But why are we stopping now? And I think it's very dangerous to continue going forward without accountability. Uh, good evening. I was just wondering, is uh, justice best served if uh, the administration is uh, prosecuted under domestic or international law? Like, which carries more weight in your viewpoint? That's also an interesting question. I mean, there are some efforts to hold American officials accountable. In Italy, there was a prosecution of some 23, 21 CIA officials. They were found uh, guilty in absentia. There are investigations now going on in Spain uh, under Spanish law. And there's an investigation, it's not clear if it's really going on, but it started in Poland where there was a secret prison and people were tortured. My view is those countries are entitled to act, but it's a shameful thing if other countries have to wash our linen if other countries have to hold our people accountable, if other countries are the ones who tell the truth and that we can't do it, we're not big enough, we're not strong enough, we don't have the courage, we don't have the commitment to the rule of law to do it ourselves. To me, it would be very shameful for the United States. Yes, it would bring some more truth to light, it would show people that, these, that crimes have been committed, but we need to do it ourselves. Not to say they can't, they shouldn't, but we need to do it ourselves. We have a history of American exceptionalism, but we feel we've always set the standard. And I would say over the last 20 or 30 years, there is a sense that we're not as powerful as we used to be. We are not the leaders of the, quote, free world. So given the historical reluctance to follow others, uh, I'm just wondering if you can think of any internal hope where we can be more reflective, where we can acknowledge our own problems and still feel that we count for something in the world. There, there are these cultural tensions, and I think they, they, they create this vacuum in which the, the Bush administration was able to act, act to show that America is strong, we can do what we want. Now, it's been a disaster. But I think there are deeper cultural currents going on in which we may make the changes you're asking for, the enforcement of the law, very, very difficult because then America would look weak. Now, I agree with you that we do look weak. We do look as if we're not doing well. But given the level of information we have about what's going on, there just seems to be a, a retreat from law, a retreat from the, the standards you are um, talking about in the name of an illusory, we're strong. And it's not working. Well, I think we felt... Um, I mean, I, I think America felt strong. I mean, during the 
during the Nixon time. It's true that we just lost the war in Vietnam, uh, but maybe it was the lying of the Vietnam War, the anger that the public had about that, that made people feel that they had to be accountability, and they weren't going to let anybody not be accountable. I don't, you know, I haven't really studied that enough of that history, but. I don't know that it's a question of feeling strong vis-a-vis -vis other countries. I think it's our own view of the rule of law here. And I think it's a very terrifying thing to think that if we expect people to obey the law, that that's going to make us weak abroad. And uh, of course, that's nonsense. But um, Britain doesn't seem to be concerned about that in terms of their inquiry. And we shouldn't be either. How can we be afraid of the truth? How can we be afraid of justice? What are we? If we are, that's a very, very sad sign. And, and you know, our moral standing in the world will depend on our ability to deal with uh, abuses of power and criminal conduct by our leaders. And the failure to deal with it will have a very bad impact. I think the, fa the fact that, we've had, that there's been no accountability for torture has not helped us in the eyes of the world, has not enhanced our power, has diminished our power. So, uh, I, 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 but I don't know that that's what people are responding to. I just, maybe that's the case, but I, I, I just don't know. I have to go to one. So, uh, Hi, uh, yes, yeah, so my name is Scott Lewis, and uh, I, I just hope that, uh, and this is a question, is do you think this will bring, by, by, will this attract, by having this book out there to bring justice, it's going to attract, will it attract harmony or with the rest of the world, or will it attract uh, divisiveness? Well, um, I don't see how accountability um, done in the right way, in a fair and professional way, creates divisiveness. I go back to Watergate. I hate to harp on it, but that's a very concrete experience. And people said when we started on the impeachment process that the country could never stand it, that it would divide us, it would destroy us. But it didn't. It strengthened us because we learned from the process that we were, as Americans, committed to the rule of law. That was the most important thing. That strengthened us as a country, as a people. We took tremendous pride, even though our president did very bad things, we took tremendous pride in the institutions that were able to respond to those bad things. Well, you know, so I think that the idea that justice will be divisive, I don't agree with that. I, I think that when you have fair and effective prosecutions, people have confidence in the institutions instead of lack of confidence in institutions. And that's a, a, a really critical factor. Are institutions working or are they biased to protect the rich and the powerful? Politically powerful, politically rich, actually rich. Can't have institutions that do that because then the American people lose confidence. In it. it weakens us. Are there any further questions? Okay, I'll be available to sign any books if you want. We have one more question. Okay. Yeah. It's 
seems to me that you're bringing up a very, very important moment in American history. And we don't seem to be that concerned about it. And I know we kind of talked about, you kind of referred to this before, but I mean, the fact that there are these people here, it seems like there should be hundreds of people here listening to this. Um, I, I was bothered by it personally, uh, didn't do anything about it. Um, why, what is it about our American psyche right now, about our American, the way, where we are in our own heads? I mean, you look at the, you look at the campaign that's going on now, and the, and, the, and, the, and the enormous hatred that seems to be within parties, between parties. What's going on, and how do we get out of this funk we're in? Well, I think, of course, um, Americans are very distressed economically now, and many of them are concerned with their own survival, with keeping a job if they have one, getting a job if they don't. I mean, this is a depressed time for this country, and Maybe people think that enforcing the law is a luxury when it's really essential. It's as essential as bread. We can't, this country created the prosperity that we enjoyed up till very recently because we had a rule of law that functioned. And yes, it didn't function always, whether it was against minorities, particularly African Americans, women, Indians, Native Americans, and so forth. But it did a you know, overall, we were getting better. We were making progress. And without the democracy, what's going to happen to the economic growth in this society? What's going to happen to our society itself? So I would say probably now most people are worried turning inward because they're very worried about their economic circumstances. But that doesn't mean that we can't be terribly worried about our democracy. And the president addressed that. Why would people care about prosecuting bankers? Because they don't want a country in which the rich and powerful escape justice. Even though they're hurting, they still believe in the idea of justice. Well, we need to have an idea of justice for people who did what President Bush and, and Vice President Cheney did. If you look at this war in Iraq that they took us into on a basis of lies and deceit, and apparent, on the basis of apparent criminal conduct, what did it cost us? Now, I just saw a recent estimate, $3 trillion? $3 trillion, can you imagine what we could do with $3 trillion today? Not to mention the tens of thousands of Americans injured, not to mention the thousands of Americans killed, not to mention the hundreds of thousands of Iraqis killed, not to mention the upheaval and, and uh, chaos and other issues that arose in Iraq as a result of our conduct. So um, there are terrible consequences of this. And if people understood that, and almost more, if people had an awareness that they had the power to make a difference about it, then I think we could see things change. I mean, they did have the power, and maybe it was Occupy Wall Street, that created the feeling that something had to be done about the banksters. Well, maybe we need an Occupy Wall Street or the equivalent to give the American people a sense that we have to have people, the, our people in top political positions who engage in criminal conduct uh, to be held accountable. That idea has to be put out there. And uh, maybe all of us in this room, if we go forth from here, contact elected officials, talk to our friends, 
write letters to the editor, do stuff on the internet, maybe we can begin to make the difference. Anyway, if we don't do anything, for sure we won't. So I guess it's up to each of us. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone.